You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest was born in Central America and orphaned for three years in El Salvador before she was adopted by white parents. Her name is Angie Giles, and she joined me to discuss how growing up in Iowa, moving to Indiana, and experiencing racism as early as in the fourth grade has affected her through the years. We both reside in Nashville, Tennessee, and had the opportunity to meet in person last summer when Operation Fog Lift, created by Rebecca Autumn and Liz DeBetta, debuted with a meet and greet at the Farmer's Market on Rosa Parks Boulevard. As Angie and I got to know each other better that day, she shared her appreciation for Adoptees Connect Nashville, founded by Pamela Caranova. Angie has been a part of their meetings for several years and explains how meaningful her participation with the group has been for her. In this episode, Angie shares a part of the journey of relinquishment, adoption, and searching for biological family. She is still living with the painful parts of her upbringing that left her feeling that she was not enough and unworthy of true acceptance within her adoptive family. So much heartbreak, physical, and sexual abuse through the years has left her knowing that there's so much for her to heal from. She started the process of taking the steps to find a sense of belonging with the adoption community in order to feel less alone. Allow me to introduce to you someone who I felt it a privilege to be trusted in sharing a part of her story. She believed that her words might resonate with someone else's lived experience. She's a wife and mother, beautifully navigating her way in the world to let go of the pain that has plagued her for decades. Angie thought that at times she might become emotional because of having to recall the unhealthy environment of her youth, but decided to be vulnerable for the purpose of more healing to take place. She willingly leans into confronting any and all brokenness that has eventually led her down the possible lifelong path of being restored to wellness. Angie, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today, and I know we're both here in the Nashville area, and it's um, definitely wintertime. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Trying to stay warm with it being so cold outside. <laughs> I know. I ventured out yesterday. Like, I braved it, and my street wasn't the best, but all the other main streets were, were pretty good. So it was good to get out, but yeah, I'm going to stay inside <laughs> till this passes. And even though I'm from Chicago, yeah, it gets a little tricky to be out in snow and ice and cold. Yeah, it just scares me, the other drivers, because I'm from Iowa, so I grew up with the blizzards and the snow. I'm glad you said that, because Chicago is flatland, 
mostly. And here, you know, it's these beautiful rolling hills, but in the wintertime, it's tricky. And like you said, because of other drivers, I get the sense that they don't sometimes slow down uh, according to the yeah. weather conditions. You notice that? Yeah. <laughs> I got to meet you in person last summer at the farmer's market. I love that place. Yes, yeah, like one of my favorite places in Nashville. And I got to sit across from you and learn more about you, like being in fellowship with you. And and so I'm, I just appreciate you accepting this invitation and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. It's quite a bit I want to ask you about because I feel like you have really been a part of the adoption community through Adoptees Connect, which I haven't yet had the opportunity to do. And we know that was created yeah. by Pamela Caranova. And so I really kind of want to start there because I think what she's created is um, extraordinary and been like all around the world, a very meaningful group. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got connected with Adoptees Connect? Yeah, I just want to say thank you for having me. This is my first time having an interview, so... I appreciate it being on your podcast. I enjoyed listening to your episodes. I moved out to the Nashville area about seven and a half years ago. And a friend that I went to school with, his name is Alec. He was part of the Adoptees Connect here in Nashville. So when I moved out here, he was living in Brentwood area. He asked me if I wanted to go. And I'm always willing to do stuff, you know, once to see, you know, (laughs) to live life once, you know experience things. So I went and this is an eye-opening experience for me because I've always known adoptions as international because that's what I am. And so is Alex. So when I went to that first meeting and seeing white people and ordinary people that I'd seen to me, you know, hearing their stories and that we had similarities. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I. It just didn't make me feel. I don't feel alone anymore. Right, right. Yes, it's done that for, I think, most of us to be a part of community with other adoptees and know that you are not alone. And like I told you before we started recording, and, and I think I've said it when we've talked before that I never know who needs to hear your story. And it, it makes me emotional too. Yeah. Yes. I'm trying to keep myself together. <laughs> oh, you're doing fine. But um, yeah, it's just it's really nice going to those meetings. We went once a month, I think for almost a year, and we'd meet in libraries, we'd meet at restaurants, and we just talk about how our adoption is affecting our everyday life, or what we went through, what experiences we had, and it's just so nice to feel that connection. I agree. Um, yeah. I'm learning to heal from from being adopted and being in an orphanage for three years of my life. And then COVID hit, and I just kind of shut everything down. We did some video uh, meetings, I think, for a few months, but it's not the same meeting in person. Trying to start it back up, but it's hard to get people to come back out. <laughs> yes. Life gets busy. Slowly but surely, people are starting to gather in person again, which is 
really nice. And I look forward to future Adoptee Connect functions here in Nashville. And I'm happy to know that I've met you already and that I just know I would feel so included. When it comes to your journey, I know it's been a difficult one. And there have been guests on here whose journeys have been heartbreaking to be removed from your culture and stripped of your identity. It just breaks my heart to know that. And I know you're from El Salvador. It's a place I've never been, but I've met several people from there. And so wherever you want to start and however much you want to share, it'd be great. Okay. I'll start from the beginning. I've always known I've been adopted. I found out on my in my paperwork, from my international paperwork, that I was given up when I was six days old. By my understanding of the paperwork, it sounds like my uncle is the one who gave me up. I only know my birth mom's name, and her name is Isabel Gamez. And then my birth name, which is Rapsalia de Los Angeles Gamez. I lived in an orphanage for three years, just about three years. And I was adopted the day after I turned three to an American family at the time was living in Iowa. So I grew up in an all-white family living in Iowa. I blocked too much of my past. My birth mom was mentally abusive, emotionally abusive towards me because I was born from another country. She didn't believe I'd be able to do simple things or like drive a car. It didn't seem like she had really high expectations for me. And then um, my adopted dad was sexually abusive towards me until they got a divorce in fourth grade. And so I don't really remember too much. I just remember feeling like I was more of a father than feeling loved. So in fourth grade, we ended up moving to Indiana from Iowa. And I guess Iowa lived a pretty sheltered life. I never experienced racism until we moved to LaPorte, Indiana. And that's the first time I really felt like I was different from other people. But I didn't belong. I had some lady stop me when I was trick-or-treating. I went to her door, just like my friends did. And she asked me where I lived. And I told her the neighborhood. And it was called Fieldstone, I think. And she had this look on her face like, how would they let your kind in there? She said some kind of statement like that. Like, I can't believe they would let your kind in there. And a fourth grader, I have no clue what she's talking about. And she's like, how do they let you in? I'm just like, we got a moving truck and we moved our stuff in. You know, she doesn't know my parents are white. I'm Hispanic. And so... Finally, I think I asked her, I'm like, can I just have the candy? Because I don't know where my friends are. They took off. (laughs) Yeah, that's the first time really feeling alone and different. And I guess ashamed. I'm so sorry. I'm picturing fourth grade for me, about nine years old. And that experience that you share really makes me sad. Because at that age, you, you remember that age. And, you know, all these years later, it yeah, it still hurts. It's still so painful. Yeah, so now I'm, I'm healing. 
I'm in my mid forties and I'm finally healing as a person from all the abuse and just hard times I had growing up. So we ended up moving back to Iowa and I grew up there and that's where I met Alec, my next door neighbor. And it's funny because we're actually been neighbors pretty much our whole life. He's born in, I can't remember now where he's born, but we're next door neighbors with the States too. I think he's Honduras. And then we were next door neighbors growing up throughout elementary through high school. And then he moved out to Tennessee and then I moved out to Tennessee like 14 years later. And we're still friends and neighbors. So knowing him as an adoptee, because he was adopted the same year I was adopted, I didn't feel so alone growing up in West Des Moines, Iowa. That's pretty extraordinary. Alec was your neighbor in Iowa. Yeah. He's adopted. Yep. And then he moves to Nashville? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And then I moved back to Nashville, you know, a decade later. Right. Wow. And he's the one who introduced me to the Adoptees Connect in Nashville. Right. Did he come out to the farmer's market that day in August? No. He hasn't been to a meeting for a while. Okay. He's busy with all. He got to go over to Europe, I think, last year, part of the year. So I know you were, or are, the youngest of eight in your family, in your adoptive family. Were your siblings adopted too? (laughs) That's a complicated story. (laughs) (laughs) The shortest answer is my mom was married three times. The people I really consider as my siblings are from her marriages. So her first marriage, she had two kids of her own. She gave birth to. And then she met my adopted dad, and he had two kids from another marriage. And then I guess they wanted to have a, a baby, so that's how they adopted me. Really, in the long run, she wanted me for her image. But then they ended up getting a divorce, and then my stepdad, Brick, he had two kids from a previous marriage, too. So everybody is older than me. I pretty much grew up as an only child, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And hard to follow along. <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes sense. I have one sister that's a foster sister from Vietnam. And then I found out, I think, three years ago that my mom and stepdad adopted her when she was, like, in her mid-30s for her will. That's another story, another time. But, yeah, I never knew she was adopted until, like, three years ago. Well, I know you're on a quest to find your roots. And when would you say you made that decision? It's always been a decision my whole life. But being adopted from El Salvador, I had no idea how to go about finding my birth mom. I just have her her name, and I saw what she did as an occupation. That's all I had really to go by. I've been searching my whole life. Finally, I think in the year 2017 or 18, my husband got me that 23andMe DNA. So I figured because I'm adopted and I don't know anything about my history or my health history, I would take that test to see if I had anything I need to know. I've been on there since then trying to find any kind of relatives. And this past summer, I had luck and I found a nephew. And our DNA is only 
0.33%. So he's like third or fourth generation that DNA we match. And I was able to meet him and a whole bunch of my biological family, which has just been amazing and a blessing. I never thought, you know, I'd be able to find somebody. I'm glad you shared that, how it has made you feel making the connection. Is is that a maternal side? I believe it's from my mom's side. I found that gammas. The first time I met them was in June. I met my cousin, Carmen, and she told me that our grandpa had 40 kids. So my mom is one of 40 kids. Wow. Which is just crazy to think <laughs> about that. What else have you learned? So they haven't met her because this family that I met, part of the Gammas, I guess that's from his last marriage, that he's the lady he was married to. They're trying their best to try to help me to find anything about my mom. I don't know anything about my biological dad. I don't have his name or anything. But I did find two, I think it was at the end of May, I had a nephew reach out to me, and our DNA match was 25%. So looking at our tree, that means one of his parents would be a sibling to me. And so I reached out to him. Well, first he reached out to me, and he just said hi. So I said hi back. And then reading his bio, it seemed like the account was fake or something because his age didn't match up to what he had listed. I gave him a whole little info about myself, like my birth mom and where I was born, if he knew anything, and then he didn't respond. And I'm like, how can we have 25% match? This is like a sibling of mine. So I reached back out and said, maybe one of your parents is my sibling. And then he told me that his dad is my half-brother. Mm. So it's a brother from my dad's side of the family my biological dad's side of the family. But unfortunately, he passed away February of 2022. So I didn't get to meet him. But I did find out that I have a nephew and a niece. They're half Chinese and half Salvadorian. And they live in Georgia. And hopefully this year I'll be able to go out and meet them. They're 13 and 17. So it's cool. I'm finding all this family that I think I didn't have and I didn't belong to anybody. Right. Have you been able to see pictures? Yeah, we video chat. Oh, good. On both sides of the family with my nephew and my niece and then on my cousin and with my aunts in El Salvador and Honduras. I've been able to video chat and just it's very overwhelming. It's a blessing, but overwhelming. Yeah. So have you traveled back to Central America since you've been an adult? I did a study abroad when I was in a community college, and I went back to get my four-year degree. I went to Honduras and Guatemala for a week, and I was so close to El Salvador. I was When we crossed the border, they said El Salvador is like 12 miles away, and I wanted to go there so bad. Yeah. But I've never been back to El Salvador. Hopefully this summer, some of my cousins, they said they'd go back with me so they can help me translate since I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So they can help me maybe find some info about my mom. As you continue the journey of finding your roots and more to 
your original identity? Have you thought about things like the foods, like cooking the dishes from, you know, your yeah. culture? Have you like have you explored that? I went back for Thanksgiving and I stayed with my male cousin Antonio and his family. So his wife showed me some of their Salvadorian dishes that they make and they have. I got to make pupusas with my cousin Carmen and her mom. It's cool learning some of the dishes and tasting the culture, the food. Right. I was never able, you know, I never grew up with. As you meet family, I'm sure you're learning more about how you're like wired, right? Like the DNA, which I think is no yes. joke. <laughs> it's a yeah, real thing. Yeah, I can thing. see myself. Yeah. Even in my cousin Coleman, who's, I think, for three generations. Well, it should be like a half, I guess, half cousin. Because of, you know, my grandpa had 40 kids. So <laughs> I don't know how you'd explain that, but <laughs> but we still look similar. Like I have the, we both have the last lines around our mouth. Our lips are similar. So seeing them was just crazy. Even when I landed in Guatemala City and seeing everybody that looked so similar to me, just seems so surreal. Never um, expected to see so many people that look like me. Yeah. Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Growing up in a white family is just, I guess you don't try to see yourself because you look different. Right. Everywhere you go. That's hard. You belong in London. So when you were growing up, you explained it as being complex and disorienting. Yeah, that sounds so very hard. Is there anything, any tools that you picked up to endure that, to get through it? I was always felt on the inside that there's something better for me out there. And yeah. It, and it would just be a matter of time before it happened. Yes. I think just waiting it out of trying to get out of the house once I graduated. I moved out the weekend I graduated, you know. Mm-hmm. I knew I was smart. I got A's and B's, but my whole life, my mom kept me in special ed. And I went to go get my my AS degree in graphic design. So I went to school. So but the weekend I moved out, I moved into a friend's house until I could get my apartment for school. Now, are you in relationship at all with your adoptive family? With a few of them. My mom passed away October of 2014, and then my stepdad passed away 2020. And since his passing, the family has pretty much dissolved. You seem to not only be on the quest to find your roots, but also to feel a sense of belonging in the adoption community, evidenced by being a part of Adoptees Connect. Is there any other way that you are connecting with other adoptees? No, I mean, this is the first time I heard of a group when, I'm, when my friend Alec told me about it. I guess I've lived a shelter life, too, living in Iowa. So I have to explore some more podcasts. And the support groups. At the same time, I have heard adoptees describe that it can be challenging being apart, being better 
connected or part of the community. Have you experienced any challenges? I used to go to this group called Celebrate Recovery. That was really helpful, but at times it was kind of hard to have that connection with them. I think it's just because there's so many different issues that we're all dealing with. And I think I might have met a few adoptees there, but not too many. It's more of just it hurts and hangups and not just addictions, but just trying to get over any of past issues you have. That has been helpful. But as any any adoptees group, no, I haven't really explored any other ones. Now I wanted to go back to something. Your biological name, Rotilia. Yeah. That's pretty. How did you determine that that was your name given at birth? It's in my paperwork. I have um, the transcripts between the Spanish and English when they adopted me. You've always had it. Yeah, my mom. I've always known I was adopted, and I think my mom gave it to me at a young age. Does it contain any other information that's been very helpful? I did notice that she used a lawyer and not an adoption agency. So maybe four years ago, I reached out to the lawyer. I Googled and tried to find out more info, and I ended up finding his house phone number. And I called him, and um, he was in surgery at the time. His wife answered the phone, and she was really sweet. She talked to me for a while, and she told me her story, and so she understood, you know, where I was coming from and told me to call back to see if he could help me out after he's recovered from his surgery. But since he was retired, he's like, I don't have any access to your records. So I can't help you. And then he gave me a list of numbers to call. I called like the county clerk and <clears throat> they pretty much told me since it's international that I can't get any of my paperwork, anything else. They're backed up five years. So good luck. Pretty much the answer is no. So I kind of just stopped, and I've just been doing that 23andMe, trying to find DNA match that way to find any biological relatives. Yeah. I know you did the DNA test. Did you do it just with one company? Yeah, just one. Going forward, what, what plans do you have? I was thinking about maybe paying extra so I can see <laughs> the relatives that they're keeping hidden from me because, you know, they want the extra money, but... I feel so blessed just to find these cousins of mine. I don't know. I don't feel like I want to push the boundary too much, you know. Yeah. This is all kind of, would you say recent? Because this Yeah, is, very recent. Yeah. Within like six months. <laughs> right. I think it's great that you, first of all, are, are doing your part to be connected to your origins and and I imagine that there's a, a really big healing component to all of this, to what you have discovered so far and, and just the possibilities of, of what else you'll learn. Yeah. Yeah, the first time I met Carmen, I don't know, I felt like I was in a movie, you know, where it just didn't seem real. And then on my way home, driving home, I think it's like an eight-hour drive, the further away I got, it felt like, I don't know, my connection got severed. She lets me know every day that I'm not alone and that I have family out there. Right. That's that beautiful. That's so important to us. It is. Yeah, it really is. 
Well, as we wrap things up, I'll ask you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? I look for any adoptees out there, you know, don't be afraid to share your story because it is healing, even though it's her fault. Primacy for your lip stuff, but it is healing to go through the process to get the words out to know they have no longer have power. Have yeah. power over you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And it's emotional labor for sure. So I thank you so much, Angie, for taking the time out to have this conversation with me. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, too. I look forward to meeting you in person at our next meeting, hopefully soon. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. DNA testing has opened up new doors for Angie to learn more about her family of origin. I'm excited about her ability to make connections and discover fascinating news, like her biological mother having so many siblings. There is no doubt in my mind that she will have a lifetime to see and hear from people who look like her. During the production of Angie's episode, I got emotional several times as I listened back to her description of the event in her neighborhood as a small trick-or-treater. A time for a child that is supposed to be fun was turned into a shameful experience because someone chose to be unkind and ridicule Angie's Hispanic identity. I can't even imagine how that changes the psyche of a little person when they have done nothing but be another human being on the planet. When adoptees come forth and share with the world that they're adopters who are far less than the best providers for a child, a truer picture can emerge of what adoption can and does look like. Thank you, Angie, for having this conversation with me. I know this was no small task. You chose courage over fear, no longer remaining silent about how much you have suffered at the hands of those who were supposed to provide a healthy and loving home. For adoptees who have emotionally, mentally, and physically struggled, and may still be struggling well into adulthood when remembering their abusive childhood, I wish to recite these powerful words written by an interracial, intercountry adoptee, Amanda Medina. I accept myself as I am. I allow myself to feel what comes to me in response to my experience. I am normal for someone who has been through what I have been through, and there is nothing wrong with me. I release the guilt because it was never mine to carry. I promise to allow myself to grow, to heal, and to empower myself because I'm worthy of love, of respect, and of safety. I promise to allow myself to keep my peace because I do not owe anyone my love, my attention, my heart, or my soul. I was born to live. I deserve to live happily. I exist. I belong on this earth. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit jenniferdianegolston.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. 
During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it, because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one-time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Thank you for being here.